Well, good morning. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, from an off-site uh, location, a campus, or here uh, in the building somewhere, or maybe on the internet. We're glad that you guys are along. I especially want to honor and welcome those of you at Somerville, uh, Phil and Sherry Strange, our campus pastors there. Uh, together with Somerville Campus, are celebrating 10 years as a campus. And so let's give them a shout out. Can we do that? Way to go. So, how's your weekend so far? Is it all right? Yeah. Let me tell you about mine. Um, so it's Palm Sunday, right? Yeah. So, so Debbie decides in honor of Palm Sunday weekend that we're gonna, we're gonna work on our palm trees. If you're, if you're in uh, the low country area, you know that a couple of months ago, um, there was deep freeze and it messed up all the palm trees. In fact, I've got pictures of what palm trees look like. They're kind of droopy. And, and so she said yesterday, she said, well, here's what I want to do. I said, what are we going to do today? She said, well, I have a plan. That's scary. And uh, she said, we're, we're going to cut the palms out of the palm frond or trees. You, you understand what I'm saying? Make them look better, okay, in honor of Palm Sunday. Well, she said we, that meant me. And <laughs> Now, they have tools and equipment to be able to do that, all right? They've got pole saws. You know, that's, you ever seen a pole saw? It's a, like kind of a chainsaw on a pole. And I have one of those. Uh, or, or I had one of those. Uh, or somebody borrowed one of those and got some suspicions of who that might be. Uh, so instead of doing that, we just got the biggest ladder we could, and I carried a saw up there and, and did it. And we cut down enough. It looks like in front of our house, we got a picture of the pile in front of our house, looks like Somebody cut down a whole forest of palm uh, uh, trees. And she, she also wanted me to see, show you, if I was going to do all that, show you what it looks like. So here's the kind of the finished product. Okay, it looks good. But, uh, but as a result, uh, every bone in my body today um, and, and muscles are, are crying out. And so this message uh, may very well be um, performance-enhancing drugs helping. Okay, so who knows what we'll say, but we're going to have a lot of fun doing it. All right? Does that, does that sound good? That's kind of where we, kind of where we are. So, so we're doing a series. We're in a series that we're calling Outrageous. Would you agree with me that outrageous people stand out from the crowd? How many of you, how many of you would agree? Outrageous people. They just don't blend in well. They just stand out. They're just different. For some of them, uh, they try to look different. Uh, for instance, can you say Lady, Lady Gaga? Okay, she definitely looks different. How about the next one? Einstein, same hairdo, same hairdo, only I would say he doesn't care what you think she does, okay? Some people are outrageous because they say crazy things. Can you say Charlie Sheen? Remember that whole deal? You know, I, I have a different brain, a different heart. I've got tiger blood, man. I still don't know. I don't think he knew what that meant. How about this guy? Remember this guy ran for president? And he said something outrageous. He said, 47% of America is dependent on government and believe that they are entitled to food. And I, okay, I didn't quite understand that, but it didn't, didn't go well for him. Remember this guy, he ran for president too. And he said something outrageous. If you like your doctor, you know, you'll... <laughs> All right, equal opportunity. I, I pick on all of them. 
How about uh, if you're a Cubs fan, any, any Cubs fans here? We've got a, new, got a new manager this year, and he says, this could be our year. Uh, yeah, right. That's kind of outrageous. So some people look outrageous. Some people talk outrageous, say outrageous things. Other, other people do some outrageous stuff. Some of you may be aware that this, uh, this week was the NCAA basketball championship, and uh, I think Kentucky played uh, Connecticut, I think, in the, in the finals. And so a, a K- Kentucky fan, so confident that his team would win, did this. Uh, he uh, did a tattoo that says, uh, 2014 national champions. You can, I don't even know where that is. That just really looks creepy. It looks like that might be on his head. I don't know. But unfortunately, Connecticut won. And so I don't know what he's going to do with that, but he's not going to blend in. How you know that? Outrageous people uh, stick out. Jesus was outrageous. And that's who we're studying. We're talking about some outrageous things that he said. He just didn't blend in. It, it wasn't about his appearance because the Bible tells us that he was very common in his appearance. But it was the things that he said and the way that he lived. And it, it always stuck out. You just didn't see Jesus come into a room and people went, oh, was he here? I, I don't know. He, he, he didn't blend in because he was outrageous. He, uh, so, and, and then Jesus calls us, who are Christ's followers, uh, to be outrageous also. We're to... We're to live outrageous lifestyles. We're to say and claim outrageous statements that he made. And if we do that, um, we, we, we won't blend in. You, you, if, you're, if you're just looking to kind of blend in, it's just not going to happen if you're really going to be a Christ follower. There are rewards for being outrageous. Uh, one of them is that you will live the abundant life that he promised. And John 10 says a thief's, person, uh, a thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. He said, my purpose is to give them, you, a rich and satisfying life. Can you say rich and satisfying? Rich and satisfying, okay? Rich and satisfying doesn't, is not a byproduct of average. It is a byproduct of outrageous. And today, what, what we've been doing is we're taking some of the state, statements that Jesus made. And today I wanna talk about outrageous faith, outrageous faith. Jesus modeled it and taught on it in a very unusual, kind of an outrageous uh, way. And here's the context of it. I wanted to kind of look at something around Palm Sunday. Most of us know that on Palm Sunday, Jesus entered Jerusalem. Uh, He absconded with somebody else's donkey, interesting story. And he enters Jerusalem, and there are people there that are throwing... um, palm fronds down in front of him and their robes on their coats. And it's a huge crowd because he's come from Bethany. And Bethany is just a few miles, not very far. It's a long walk, but it's not very far at all from Jerusalem. And, and at Bethany, he was staying with friends. That's kind of his location at the time. And one of those friends was Lazarus and he had just risen from the dead. And which created a lot of social media buzz. And so there was a huge crowd in Jerusalem when Jesus uh, came. And so they're yelling, remember what they yelled, uh, Hosanna, blessed is he that what? That comes in the name of the Lord. And we kind of all know that. And then Jesus later that day uh, went to the temple 
And he just kind of looked around, just kind of hung out with his disciples, and that was his Palm Sunday. Now, do you know what he did on Palm Monday? You know what he did on Palm Monday? Well, he, he went home on Sunday night, and uh, on Palm Sunday, and then the next day, and we pick it up in your outline sheet, if you've got an outline sheet or if you've got a Bible, it's uh, Mark chapter 11 and verse 12, and this is what he did. It says, the next morning, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry, and he noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off, and so he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. And then Jesus said to the tree, may no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. I love this scripture. I relate to this scripture. Any of you ever done something crazy because you were hungry? Okay. Anybody? Yeah. I've got a little, a uh, couple of our kids are living with us right now until they have a house built. And uh, uh, one of my grandkids, uh, little Breck is, I don't know, he's somewhere between, you know, he's, he's little, but he walks. <laughs> and I just started walking. And he is just the sweetest kid in the world, except for right around mealtime, it just, something triggers and he's just ornery and mean and nasty as can be. And I'm kind of that way. I've got a blood sugar thing that kind of got to keep the food in at the right times. And, and so if I don't eat at the right time, I, I do crazy things. And it looks like Jesus did a crazy thing here, doesn't it? Because, I mean, you remember what the Bible said? He said, he was hungry. There's a fig tree. And so he goes to get the fruit of a fig tree, and it's not in season. And I'm thinking, he's God. He made the fig tree. He knows it's not in season, and yet he curses it. And, you know, it's the same feeling some of you have when you're hungry on Sunday and you drive past Chick-fil-A, okay? It's like, it's, like it's, not, it's not open. The restaurant's not open, gang. Don't throw eggs. Don't, you know, don't, 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 you know, what? It, Jesus goes to the fig tree. It's not open. The restaurant's not open for goodness sake. And so what's up with that? I could tell you, I was gonna do a message about that. I don't have time. Google it. It's a real interesting story. We know that Jesus didn't sin. And here's what I wanna take out of that story. Is that he uses that story to teach an incredible object lesson about faith. But he doesn't do it right yet. So he's on his way to Jerusalem, and it's the day after Palm Sunday, and now he's on a different mission. He's gonna go, he's gonna go mess some people up. He's got a whip that he'd he'd fashioned. This is sweet Jesus. Okay. He's got a whip, he's gonna go mess some people up. And so he goes to the temple and he turns the tables of the money changers over, money going everywhere. He runs people who are selling stuff out of the temple. I mean, he just opens a, opens a can on the whole group. You know, it's just like, it's a, it's a big, and why was this a big deal to him? Now, let me just explain this real quick. Because um, some people will, will say, they read that story, they say, why do you have a bookstore? You should never sell anything at church and you guys sell tickets for stuff and all of this. Is it the same thing? Here's what was going on. It was not unusual for money changers and people selling animals uh, 
to be at the temple. Uh, what you have to understand is that this is Passover, okay? It's Passover week. And you've got Jews from all over, as many as three or 400,000 who are in Jerusalem now for the Passover, and they have to offer sacrifices. And if you're traveling from 100 miles or 1,000 miles away, it's tough to drag a cow with you for a sacrifice. And so they had provision there at the, at the temple that you could come and you could buy a dove or a cow or whatever for your sacrifice. That was totally normal for people to be there doing that. And the money changers, totally normal because they're coming from uh, you know, Greece and, and Rome and uh, all of these places and they've got different uh, kind of money. If you've ever traveled internationally, you know, you, you, well, they spend dollars everywhere, most places, but uh, they, they like us, they like our money. But the, uh, a lot of times you have to go and you have to change the dollars out in order to get the local currency and that's exactly what's going on there. So you get the currency and then you're able to buy product. The problem was, and what ticked Jesus off, is they were cheating people. They were uh, inaccurate scales on the money changing. They, they were taking, maybe you brought a, a dove for a sacrifice, and they look at the dove and say, that's not good enough. No, you can't do that. You're going to have to buy another one. Put it away. You buy another one, and they sell that one back to somebody else. So they were cheating people, and they were especially cheating poor people and widows, and that just, that gets the heart of God all the time. And so Jesus comes and he, and, he, and he overturns the temple and it evidently took him a while, wore him out because then they go back home to Bethany but they don't even get all the way because it's too late. And so they camp out probably at the Mount of Olives. And so then we pick up the scripture, um, the, the second part of the scripture that's on your, on your outline sheet. It says on Tuesday morning, the next morning they, as they passed by the fig tree that he had cursed, the disciples noticed that it had withered from the roots up. And Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day, and he exclaimed, look, Rabbi, the fig tree that you cursed had withered and died. And then Jesus said to the disciples, have faith in God. I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. But you must really believe that it will happen. And have no doubt in your heart. And I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. But when you're praying, first forgive anyone who you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. That's the outrageous statement. And oh, by the way, if he'd had Fig Newtons, it wouldn't have been a problem. He could bring them with him. Pretty good. So... So here's what Jesus does. So Jesus uses this fig tree to do a, to teach a, a leadership lesson to his guys, the leaders. It's not to the masses, it's to the leaders. And so what I wanna do today is I wanna teach you a leadership lesson on outrageous faith uh, from this story in, in Mark. And some of you who are leaders are going great, Man, I need more leadership tips. Others are going, I'm not a leader. Maybe I tune out on this. You, know, may, you may be a freshman at the Citadel. You're the lowest form of life form that there is right now. Okay. <laughs> it'll get better. Trust me, it'll get better. Or maybe, maybe you're a, a mother who either works or in, in the outside marketplace or works at home. And, you know, you've just got little crumb crunchers, you know, two, three years old. Especially if you work at home, you don't get a whole lot of 
adult interaction and you go, well, I, I'm not a leader. Can I tell you something? I think leading a two-year-old is one of the biggest leadership jobs that there is. I mean, I've told you guys before, one of my jobs as, as grandpa is when we go out to eat, grandpa eats quickly and takes the kids out to kind of entertain them while the adults have a slow meal because somebody's going to melt down, okay? And so I take them out. The other day, I had uh, three little four-year-old girls and one two-year-old girl, and I thought, how hard can this be? <laughs> what I discovered that day is that I can lead thousands, but I'm a miserable failure when it comes to leading one two-year-old who would not listen. And so you are, you are a leader. And I would, I would say that everybody in this room are leaders because we're all responsible for self-leadership. That's the first level of leadership, self-leadership. And would you agree with me that many of the problems in life are because of a failure at self-leadership? Would you agree with that? So we're all leaders. Now that we know that we're leaders, how many of you could use a dose of outrageous faith in your arena of leadership? Anybody here? Okay, that's why we should listen. So let's, let's take a look at it. What did Jesus say and how, how can you have outrageous faith? What, what, is that, what does that look like? People who have outrageous faith, first of all, see things that others can't see. They see things that others can't see. That's just a, it doesn't matter what kind of leader you are, you don't even have to have outrageous faith. That's just a characteristic of leadership. When you, when you kind of step into leadership, you get leader's eyes. And it frustrates you. It frustrates you. The other day, uh, a week ago, um, I didn't preach. I was here. I was uh, leading a couple who uh, pastor a church, an Anglican church in England. I was just kind of leading them on a campus tour. And we were coming back into this campus at some point to, and service was going on. And I'm walking and there is an old nasty towel that's laying on the sidewalk. And as I walked, I stepped down and picked it up and I wondered how many hundreds or maybe even thousands of people walked by that towel and didn't do a thing in the world about it. Now, I'm not scolding you right now. That's not it at all. It really isn't. It's more about me because as a leader, that's how you see life. You get frustrated because other followers don't see what you see. If you've ever owned your own company, owned your own business, or you have kids in the home, especially moms, and you go, what? why didn't they see that? Did anybody see it? No, you saw it because you are a leader and you see through leaders' eyes. And one of the things that I think that Jesus is saying is that leaders with outrageous faith see certain things differently than other people do. Jesus says to them, if you're gonna be leaders, you're gonna have to see mountains differently. Everybody else sees a mountain as an immovable object as an immovable obstacle, as a barrier between where we are and where we want to go, and especially in a culture that walks everywhere, that's a tough deal to deal with. And he said, everybody sees it that way, but you're going to have to see mountains differently. And I believe he's speaking figuratively toward the mountains in our lives. We all have mountains, immovable objects. For some of us, it's a mountain of debt. For others of us, it's a mountain of resistance. It's like you're trying hard. You're doing the best you can to follow God, to make good decisions, whatever it happens to be. But there's pushback and resistance and resistance, and it keeps building, building, building until it becomes a mountain. For others of us, it's a mountain of, of doubt, you know, just doubt. 
For some of us, it's a mountain of decisions. Have you ever had a day where you had so many decisions to make that you come home at the end of the day and somebody says, what do you want to eat? And you say, I don't care. I don't want to make another decision about anything because there's this mountain of decisions. Or it may be one huge decision that you know you need to make and it's standing between you and where you need to be and it's a mountain. Or it could be a mountain of regret, of past choices and how they're impacting today. We've all got these mountains in our lives. And Jesus says, before you can speak to the mountain, You've got to see them through outrageous faith eyes. See, outrageous leaders who are full of outrageous faith, they see circumstances differently. Where others see obstacles, they actually see opportunities. In fact, on your outline sheet, I've got a couple of quotes. Winston Churchill, a pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity, an optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. You've heard that one. Thomas Edison says, opportunity is missed by most people because it's dressed in overalls and looks a lot like work. That's probably true. Probably true. But a faith-filled leader, outrageous faith-filled leader, they see obstacles as just another opportunity for God to work. It's another opportunity for God to work a miracle, for God to intervene because outrageous faith-filled leaders see circumstances differently. They not only see circumstances, they see people differently. They see people differently. Where others see problems, they see potential. I love this about Jesus. He's the example there. Jesus has a whole group of followers. Now, every rabbi, he's not the only rabbi in the area. Every rabbi has followers. And it's kind of like they take resumes to get followers. And the most popular rabbis are the, the, the ones that people you know, really want to be around. They get the best quality Followers, and you look at Jesus' followers, and these are guys that are probably not at the top of the pecking order. And, and, and you got Peter. And Peter is this impulsive, you know, he's, he's excited about this today, but he can't remember that tomorrow. He's excited about what he's excited about, something different. And that's hard for people to follow because they're still following what you were excited about yesterday. You may have a boss like that. And Peter is... Peter's blown in the wind. He's like, you know, uh, just different opinions at different times. His parents named him Simon, which meant reed blown in the wind. And Jesus sees Peter and he says, you know what, I'm going to change your name because I see potential in you. I see in you someone that I can build my church on. And so I'm going to change your name from Simon to Petros, Rock. He's the first original Rocky. You know, he's Rocky the prequel, you know. And... And, and I, he does that for several reasons. He's, he's indicating, I see something in you. I see something different. Other people see this. I see a rock. I see something you can build on. And I think as he changes his name, probably the biggest impact is on Peter himself as he begins to hear over and over and over again a prophetic word about who Jesus sees him to be. And you may need to do that. You may, you may have somebody in your life that you need to see differently. You need to see not as a problem, but you need to see their potential, and maybe you need to speak to that before you can speak to it, though you gotta see it. You gotta see it. Outrageous leaders, outrageous faith-filled leaders, they see circumstances, they see people, they see their future differently. 
They see their future differently. Rather than uh, where others see heartache, they see hope. Oh, their heart aches, but they see hope in it. They may be going through a tragic situation, really hard situation with their family or whatever, and they might say something like this. You know, I, I know things are tough right now. We all feel that. But I know that according to Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, God has a good future for us. And I'm gonna choose to see that future rather than just to focus on the current heartache. They, they, they might say, I know this hurts, but, but I know that according to Romans 8, 28, God will use it for our good. It's because outrageous leaders, they see things differently. So is there a circumstance or a person or a future event that you need to put out outrageous faith glasses on for? You need, you need to just to see differently. I love Hebrews chapter 11 and verse one says, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Can I tell you in my life, 26 years here at Seacoast and 30 some years uh, married and been in ministry quite a long time, there have been many, 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 many times when faith is all I had. Faith is all I had. Because if you'd have looked at the landscape, whether that's people, circumstances, or even future, it didn't look good. I had to stand on faith and see it through faith and faith became the evidence of things that we hope for. And so, so I think Jesus is saying, if you're gonna be an outrageous, faith-filled leader, you gotta see things that other people don't see. Second thing you gotta do is say things that others won't say. Say things that others won't say. You know, leaders say things. Uh, um, Kennedy, remember John Kennedy, um, that's going way back too much for many of you when I was just a little kid. He was president and he said, we're gonna land on the moon. We're gonna put a person on the moon. There wasn't even the technology for it. We said, we're gonna do it. And it, it, it catalyzed the, this whole kind of thing, made it happen. Leaders full of outrageous faith sometimes say outrageous things. They just do. Jesus did. He said, you know, you've gotta do more than see it. You know, the first thing is to see the mountain and to see it differently. He said, that's not enough. You can't just, he didn't say, think to the mountain. He didn't say, whisper to the mountain. He said, speak to the mountain. There comes a point, you gotta say something. You gotta go public. I don't like doing that. I'd rather keep it private. I don't wanna speak publicly, why? because then I become accountable. You know what I'm saying? You ever, you know, if you ever said, I'm gonna lose 20 pounds. Well, when you say it, everybody's going, okay, how you doing? I still see about 15. How you doing? Come on, come on. But he says, you gotta say it. You gotta speak it. I was at the ARC conference a couple of weeks ago, Association of Related Churches, church planting movement that we have. We've planted 400 churches over the last 12 years. I can remember when that started. The reason I was thinking about it is my, it was an incredible event. We played you a little bit of it last week. My, my brother was there and he wrote a blog post about the early days of ARC and it was just so sentimental, it touched my heart. I remember the early day, prequel to ARC, the early days before ARC, when ARC was just a dream in our hearts. And, and I remember having a dream to plant 2,000 churches. And I tied it with the year 2020, plant 2,000 years. It, it was in 2010 uh, when, when I had that dream. And uh, actually it wasn't, it was before then. 
I don't know when it was, but it was a long time ago. It was the year 2000 is when it was. And by 2020, you're going to plant 2,000 churches. And so far, we were 0 for 3 as a church. We're not doing all that well. And I remember saying it at a first Wednesday service. And I felt embarrassed about what I had said. Because now people are going to expect it to happen and we're not, just not doing very good. But you know what happened? When I spoke it, it became the catalyst for the movement. When I spoke it, people who had greater gifts than me came and said, I'd like to be a part of that. I think we can do this together. See, and what, what, I, what I was afraid of saying became what, what catalyzed a movement that now is 20% along the way of the goal of planting life-giving churches in every community around the world. Jesus knew the power of words. He knew it. In fact, even with our goal of 2,000 churches, there have been times along the way that, that the leadership team have said, we need to quit talking about this because we're just not getting there fast enough. You know, I, I remember one time I said, here's what we'll do. We'll just say, rather than uh, by the year 2020, we'll just say in our lifetime. That way if we die, we don't have to worry about it. It's not a big deal, you know, whatever. <laughs> Jesus knew the power of words. He cursed the fig tree. Peter goes, look at this. Jesus, what you said happened. It was a lesson. Power of words. I love um, uh, uh, how the message uh, uh, gives it in Proverbs 18.21, the message. It says, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. You choose. And every day you choose. You choose whether you're going to give life or you choose whether you're going to curse and give death. And Jesus shows how powerful that is. Now, here's the question. What do you need to give life to with your words? Listen to me carefully. What mountain do you not only need to see differently, but, but, it, but it's time to say something to it? It's time to speak to it. It might be a dream that's been in your heart for a long time. But it's just you, and it's just private. And God said, you got to speak to it. When you speak to it, you become accountable, and you set into force the power of words. Or it might be a people. It might be your spouse, or your kids, or your boss, or a teammate, or coworker, or roommate. Maybe it's time to speak prophetically rather than just speaking by what you see. Maybe you need to see them differently and may, maybe you need to speak differently to them in line with what you believe. Or it could be circumstances. Outrageous, faith-filled leaders see things that others don't see. They say things that others don't say. Now, this has been good. Up to this point, this is just a real good motivational teaching by Jesus. Then he turns a corner. And this is where it gets hard. Because the third thing that I think that we see is that Faith-filled leaders do things that others refuse to do. Others refuse to do. Jesus goes, guys, there's just one more thing. I know you're all hyped up about, you know, seeing mountains differently and speaking to them and getting what you believe in prayer, believing that you'll receive it, and, and all of that's true. But there's just one more thing. If you're going to live a outrageous lives of faith, you're going to have to do some things that others refuse to do, and let's start with forgiveness. Now, Jesus, let's start with something easier. <laughs> Let, let's take kindergarten steps. Let's not dive into the deep end of the pool quite yet. 
He says, no, we're going to start with, see, this stuff doesn't work unless you forgive everybody. In fact, look at his words. But when you pray, first forgive anyone. Circle anyone. Will you do that? Anyone. And your mind is going, anyone except for anyone that you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. See, that's a tough one. Forgive anyone. Whatever the grudges. And the disciples are going, Jesus, now hang on just a minute. I know you're God and everything, but you, you, don't, you've, you haven't been where I've been. You don't know the people that I've dealt with. You're just God. You can forget about stuff. You can, somebody sins against you, you, you forget it. I can't forget. Jesus says, no, it's everybody. Whoever you've got a grudge against. That's how this thing works. If you're going to get your prayers answered, if you're going to be a faithful-filled leader and speak to mountains and see things differently, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to forgive. See, this becomes real sticky. What if the grudge is about the guy that raped me? What if the grudge is about the woman who was drunk and hit the car that my child was riding in and, and they died? What if the grudge is about my spouse that cheated on me? Or, or what if it's about being unfairly taken advantage of in a situation like that where that somebody's trying to get a pound of flesh and you've confessed and confessed and you've asked for forgiveness and they won't and, and, it, and it hurts. What, what if it's about the business partner who took the money and ran and now you're holding worthless paper that you're paying for every month. Your, your family could use it in another way. What if it's about the God who didn't come through when I needed him? And I've, I've, there's something there. And Jesus says, doesn't matter. Forgive everyone, anyone. See, if, you, if you've got to define the grudge, then the grudge ends up defining you, basically, is what he's saying. We complicate things by our conditions. I know it's tough. I know it's tough. But Jesus is saying, you're going to have to learn this stuff. It's countercultural, but you're going to have to learn this stuff if you're going to be an outrageous follower and have outrageous faith. If you're going to live outrageously, you've got to be willing to do things others refuse to do. And it starts with forgiveness. We'll talk more about forgiveness next week, actually. We talk at Easter. But it doesn't end there. There are a lot of potential next steps after seeing and saying. For some of us, it might be a next step of going and saying I'm sorry to somebody. For some, it may be saying, you know, I'm going to go see a counselor. Maybe it's for you personally. Maybe it's for your marriage situation, you know, whatever. But other people, you're afraid of what other people are going to think, and most people would refuse to do that. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe it's to go to celebrate recovery, to overcome a hurt habit or hangup that has kind of got you uh, in a bad place. 
Or maybe it's to get up earlier in the morning and seek God. Or maybe it's to climb onto an exercise bike. Or maybe it's to enroll in a class. It's different for all of us. But there's always a next step. Progress only happens when someone is willing to take the next step. I think Jesus is saying, if you're going to be outrageous, you got to see things, say things, and do things that others don't do. So what about you? Are you ready to do that? Are you? Are you ready to... Uh, begin uh, living a, a, an outrageous life of faith, begin seeing mountains, not just as obstacles, but as peaks at opportunity in your life, ready to go public and speak to the mountain that's private, ready to take the next step and do things that others refuse and begin. It begins with receiving and giving forgiveness. You know, do you think that would make a difference in your life, do you? I can, t- I can tell you what, you wouldn't blend in. <laughs> You'll stand out. But you know what? It'll be the beginning of abundant life. It'll be abundant life. What if we all did that? I thought about this. I thought, about, what if we all actually walked out of here today from whatever auditorium that we're in and we did this? We just said, okay, I'm going for it. As a church, we dedic- rededicated our lives to living the dangerous, outrageous life that Jesus invites us to live. What if we together begin to see our communities differently? We looked at the communities that we lived in. And rather than moan and complain about stuff and the government this and that and the other, what if we actually did something? What if we said, you know what? This, this is a place I'm here for a purpose to, to be God's redemption tool in this community. Whether I'm in Walmart or church or, or at the restaurant, wherever it is, I'm on mission from God. What if we did that together? What if we collectively spoke to the mountains, to the obstacles, to the problems? What if we all became a forgiving, grudge-busting community of faith? Does that sound good? That's the church I signed up for 26 years ago. That's the church I signed up for. Let's stand up and that's good enough. We're done. Let's go. Come on. You clapped. That's a great place to start. All right. What I want to do is I want to pray for you. Okay. What we're going to pray right now, we're getting ready to go into response time. If you're new here, it gets all creepy and weird. <laughs> Not really, it doesn't. Just responding to God, it's great. It's the best part of the service. But what I want to do is I want to pray just that the Holy Spirit, come on, band, you guys can come. Play a little keyboards, make it feel good in here. I want to just pray that the Holy Spirit would come. I've been talking to you, doing, done the best I could to lay it out. Now I want the Holy Spirit to come. Just come into our lives and our hearts and help us to apply his word in whatever way that he wants to, okay? So let's pray and you invite the Holy Spirit to come into your life. God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for your kingdom and God, for all the great things that you've promised to us and the outrageous words of Jesus. We want to be outrageous followers of Jesus. So God, I pray right now that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit into this place and into our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.